Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. The title of our message this evening is Our Threefold Ministry. Our Threefold Ministry. What's that about? Well, every believer has a threefold ministry, and every church has a threefold ministry. Our first ministry is to the Lord. Our second ministry is to the saints. And our third ministry is to the world. And the best way we can be most effective to reaching the saints and reaching the world is by putting ministry to the Lord first. If we put that ministry first, we can be empowered by him to be effective in reaching other saints and also reaching the world. To give you some supportive scriptures, we look at first of all Psalm 101, verse 6 from the Amplified Translation of the Bible. My eyes shall look with favor upon the faithful of the land. Are you faithful? That they may dwell with me. He who walks blamelessly, he shall minister to me. What a privilege. Can you imagine that? To minister to him. When it comes to the saints, look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. As every man hath received a gift. Did you know God has imparted something to you? He sure has. Even so, minister, notice the same, one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are many facets to the grace of God. And he's ministered to each and every one of us certain gifts, talents, and abilities that we are to use to minister Yes, to him, but also to one another as a good steward of the manifold grace of God, which is why it's important to be involved in ministry. We're all in the ministry, whether we realize it or not or recognize it or not, we're all in the ministry. We minister to the Lord, we minister to the saints, but then also the final one, there's scriptural support for ministering to the world. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Are you a new creature, a new creation in Christ? All things have passed away. All things, behold, all things are become new. Aren't you glad for that? The old man's gone. The new man's alive. And all things are of God. Isn't that wonderful as well? Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that revelation? You're reconciled, brought to a place of peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. We have a ministry to wit or make it known that God was in Christ reconciling what? The world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the world's our platform. That means everywhere we go, all around us, people that are lost, we're to minister to them. Yes, by word, but also by deed, by our example as well. So we have a threefold ministry to the Lord, to one another, and to the world to reach out, praise God, and touch hearts and change lives. We want to talk about tonight our ministry to the Lord first and foremost, and that's what we'll focus on. Look at Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. As they ministered 
to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. In what atmosphere did the Holy Ghost speak? As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said. Notice, number one, minister to the Lord. That's our first ministry. Two, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work where to have called them. They ministered then to the saints. And guess what? Number three, they laid hands on them, if you read down further, but they laid hands on them and sent them out into ministry to the world. So we see this dynamic right here in this one verse of Scripture in actuality. They ministered to the Lord, they ministered to one another, and then they went off and they ministered to those that are in the world, a threefold ministry. First of all, this is something that's probably unusual unless you really understand this and know it. Every one of us is a priest. You realize that? Unto God. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. You are a priest. I'm a priest. We're all priests before God. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, he is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God, his father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Did you know that you were made a priest and you didn't have to go to school for it? Didn't have to study for it? The qualification was the moment you got washed in the blood of the Lamb, you became a priest, an active priest. Whether we knew it or not, recognize it or not, we're a priest with a priestly ministry to minister to the Lord, to minister to the saints, and to minister to the world. We have a divine calling upon our lives, every single one of us that's here tonight. And whether or not we fulfill that call is up to us. And how effective we are in fulfilling the call is up to each and every one of us. So, first of all, as a priest, it's our duty and responsibility to offer up spiritual sacrifices unto the living God. Look at 1 Peter. I mean, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. You also as lively or living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Verse 9 says you're a royal priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Notice the language here. You and I are priests. We belong to a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. And our responsibility or our duty is to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You have to recall this. In the Old Testament, they had to offer up animal sacrifices, didn't they? Sure they did. Bloody sacrifices, didn't they? But notice there's no bloody sacrifice here except one. We offer up spiritual sacrifices to God the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes our worship acceptable at the very throne of Almighty God. So you see, we don't offer up natural sacrifices. We offer up spiritual sacrifices before God so that we can minister to Him in the sanctuary. You realize what this is saying? As we talked about last week, the door's been opened wide. We can go to the throne. By the blood of the Lamb, we can enter into the holiest place of all. We're accepted in the beloved. 
We can enter into the very throne of Almighty God before His divine presence and power, and we can worship Him, we can honor Him, we can petition Him, because we belong there. And as a priest, we're to first of all worship Him there, offer up spiritual sacrifices, and then be empowered because we're in His presence and equipped to minister to the world, or to the saints first, and then also to the world. So it's up to us as to whether or not we enter in and fulfill these duties and responsibilities that are ours. Now, what does it mean to minister to the Lord? What does it involve? Well, first of all, since you asked, John 4, 24, you will notice it's up to us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Notice it's true worship. God is a spirit. And remember, he's answering the question from the woman at the well who said, the Jews believe in Jerusalem and we Samaritans, we believe up on the mountain. Who's right? Who's wrong? He said, look, a change has come. True worshipers are going to worship him, not in Jerusalem, not on a mountain, but God is a spirit and they that worship him, notice the word must, circle that, highlight that, must worship him in spirit and in truth. So that means from the heart, based on the word. In spirit, from your heart, with all sincerity of heart, what does that mean? A change has taken place within. You see, man couldn't do that before. She, when he talked about truth, a true worshiper, he's talking about not something that's opposed to false worship. The worship they had back then was a type and a shadow of true worship. They worshiped him, but it was a type and a shadow. But you and I, our sin's been remitted, completely gone. We have access to the throne. And we can come before the throne and we can worship him from the heart with truth and understanding of how he truly wants to be worshipped. From the heart we worship him. From the heart we exalt him as we did here this evening. And we lift our voices on high knowing that we belong there in that place and that he knows our voice and we can honor him. So it means reality. It's reality time. It's not a type. It's not a shadow. It's reality. You know, we can actually walk through it. I'm walking in through the eastern gate. I'm walking in the, whole, the outer court. Imagine that. Can you imagine someone back then saying, uh, excuse me, here's my little lamb. I'm coming in, but I want you to touch it. I'm going to walk in myself. I'm going to walk up here to where uh, the altar is. And, you know, I don't really want to kill this lamb. I just want to take it all the way in and maybe give it to God myself. You think he can get from that outer court into the holy place at all? I don't think so, but if he tried to muscle his way in there, he might get into that holy place, I guess, if he's strong enough. And they said, boy, step aside. I want to get into the holiest place of all, and that's where I want to be. And they say, you better not do it. You can't do that. He goes, I'm going in there. Now, they, he might have been strong enough to muscle his way into the holy place from the outer court, but the moment he hit the holiest place of all, boom, he was down. There's no possible way. There's no sacrifice that can get them into the holiest place of all. Only once a year could the high priest get in there with a proper sacrifice of blood. An innocent lamb had to be sacrificed, and then he can get in there once a year, and that's it. But you and I, the door's been opened wide. You and I can walk in by the blood of the lamb. You and I can bow before the throne of Almighty God. We can sit in his presence and say, Abba, Father, and expect a manifestation of his presence right there among us as we honor him. And worship him in spirit and in truth. That's reality. 
See, worship focuses on the person of God, his person, his character. He's a holy God. Look in the book of Leviticus in chapter 3, or chapter 10, rather, verse 3. This is from the New King James Version of the Bible. Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, you want to be near him? I must be regarded as holy. Notice that. In other words, I must regard him as a holy God. You know, there's a lot going on in the church world today. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's out there. I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I didn't want to be critical or anything like that. But you know what? As what we did here tonight before the service, it actually began before it began. But you know what I mean. Between 6.30 and 7 and 7 o'clock, we start, you know, this part of the service. That's worship. That's viewing God as holy. Bowing before his presence. Prostrating ourselves, if need be, before his throne. Viewing him as a holy, holy God. Not coming in with all kind of bells and whistles and fireworks and all that with disrespect. Thinking that pleases him. I'll tell you what pleases him when we do it his way. When it's done on earth as it is in heaven. Last I checked in heaven, the, cher the cherubim and the seraphim, the four and twenty elders, bow down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, golden vows full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. I see them taking off their golden crowns, cast them down at the feet of Jesus. You are worthy. You are worthy. You redeem us for, to God by your blood. That's what's going on in heaven. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. So we can't approach his presence in an irreverent way or a disrespectful way. If we want to see the greatest move of God that this world has ever seen before, that's exactly the attitude we're going to have. Look in the book of Exodus chapter 3. In verse 5. This is Moses. He sees a burning bush. He gets close. And he said, draw not nigh hither like a warning put off thy shoes from thy feet from, put your shoes off from your feet for the place whereon you stand is holy ground oh is there a holy place of meeting do we have a holy place of meeting think about it it's holy ground and I think of some of the songs we used to sing from before were standing on holy ground. And some of the other ones that really focus our attention on a lot of these blessed truths. I know there's a lot of appealing songs. They appeal even to the flesh, the fleshly part of us and exciting and all that. But my brother and my sister, there is nothing more important than our recognizing that we serve a holy, holy God. And if we want to be successful in the earth, in the world, and fulfilling all of our responsibilities and duties, whether it's as an individual, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a grandparent. Spend some time there, and you'll get empowered to do some things there. You'll be empowered to minister effectively to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your relatives, everybody else around you. That's where it all begins, at the throne of God. Not all worship is acceptable. Did you know that? Look 
in the book of Matthew chapter 15. Don't you love the way Jesus called them out? You hypocrites. I'm sure he did it in love. He called them snakes, I mean vipers. And <laughs> but in a loving way, right? Can you imagine that? You brood of snakes. <laughs> you're like whited sepulchers. <laughs> you look good on the outside, but you're full of bone, dead men's bones on the inside. You've got to love it, right? <laughs> you hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people draws nigh to me with their mouth and honored me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain, this is called vain worship. Do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? Notice, you can, you can have vain worship. Oh, it may look good on the outside, but it's vain worship. It's empty. Why? It's not done in spirit or in truth. So there's vain worship. That's not acceptable to God. But then also, look at the next one, self-imposed or will worship. Colossians chapter 2. This is called self-inspired, self-imposed will worship. First, the King James Version. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in, in what kind of worship? Will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Now look at the NIV version of that saying. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship. What kind of worship? self-imposed. Philip's translation says self-inspired worship. Their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Whoa. So you're not connecting, in other words, with God if it's something I'm going to do it my way. Will worship. So the next one we all should be familiar with. It's called ignorant worship. Look in the book of Acts chapter 17. This is Paul at Mars Hill. Look what he says. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Which worship him I declare unto you. So they were worshiping, but they were worshiping in ignorance. They had no idea what they were doing. You might want to give them credit. Maybe that's why Paul was sent there, because they were trying something to do something. But notice these three different types of worship, vain worship, will worship, ignorant worship. They're not worship that God accepts. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, true worship gives glory to God. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29, King James Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Just take that verse of scripture 
and think about it as we approached, let's say, his presence tonight. And aren't you glad that when you came in, that no matter what you came out from, out of, out there in the world, you know, if you came in, especially during the time that we were just ministering before the Lord on our knees, and you walked through that door, I believe you really sense the presence of the living God. But now notice what it says. Give him the glory. It's something we give to him that's through his name. I'm coming to give you something, Lord, glory. Bring an offering. I'm offering to you my sacrifice of praise. What am I sacrificing? Whatever else I could be doing. Even my thoughts, to control my thoughts, to think only about you. And come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness because he is a holy God. So true worship is from the heart. And I believe that as we gather together, we create a habitation for him right here in our midst. Don't you believe that? So therefore, if he is here and we view him as holy, we're going to walk with that understanding. And we're going to come and say, I've come exclusively, not just to put in my time on a Wednesday night to say, I'm going to be here because I went to church because it's an obligation that I have. But I've come really to worship you. You've been so good to me. You've done so much for me. I'm here to worship you tonight in spirit and in truth and just to bless your holy name. Now look at uh, Psalms 34 and verse 1. It's not only true worship gives worth to God, but it also is a choice that we make. I will, I will, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's a decision to live a lifestyle of worship and praise to God. I will worship you. I will bless you at all times. And then the last one, look at 1 John 4, 19. It's our response to his love for us. You realize if he didn't love us, we couldn't love him back. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Out of his love for us, what do we do? We fall in love with him over and over and over again. You know, I realize we can get caught up in the world that we're living in, but I don't know about you, but I've been looking at my birth certificate lately. And the years are going by. No matter how much we, we want to maybe not think about that. But um, when I think about being here for 39 years, I'm thinking that can't even be possible. I cannot have been preaching here for 39 years. I'm not 39 years old. <laughs> in my thinking, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? But, you know, you, you think about it, that these years are going by. And one day this temporary life that we live here upon the earth will be gone. We're entering into an eternal thing. All these former things are gone. The things we sometimes value and think they're so important. Who scored the touchdown? Who won the gold medal? Who did this and who did that? What did Jesus say? Not one brick will be left on top of another brick, right? As far as this world is concerned, it's going to be all gone. But I tell you what, what we have in spirit is everlasting. It is eternal. Labor for the rewards where the rust and the moth will not corrode and eat away. Amen. Look at the next thing, point B, praise. Praise. We talk about what true worship is. It's also praise. Praise, praise God. We praise God. Look at Hebrews 13, 15. As a priest, we come before his throne. And here's what we do. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise. Notice again, don't miss out those two first two words. By whom? By him. Your praise is only acceptable through Jesus, 1 Peter 2, 5 says. So by him, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often? Continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know why it says the fruit of your lips? Because you see, a man's belly shall be filled with, with the words he speaks. 
with the fruit of his lips. And the more we speak the word, then the more it becomes a reality. And the more we are filled. So I'm not just spewing out words that don't involve my heart. Anyone can say anything. We can quote a scripture, right? I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. But what he's saying, the fruit of your lips is when your heart is engaged in a revelation of who he is and what he's done for you. Praise focuses on the things he has done for us. When I hear people sometimes say, well, when he does something for me, that's what I'll do. Really? There's where your problem lies. Because you see, he's done so much for you, you just don't recognize it. If you were to recognize it, you wouldn't be sitting there. You'd be standing up and shouting from the mountaintops, praise God. That's what you would be doing. You know, we don't need to prod people to praise and worship God when they see him for who he is, when they know who he is, and they've experienced his love, and they've experienced the great things he has done for them. They'll automatically do it from their heart. So it says here, fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Look, so look at Psalm 150. This is the last of the five hallelujah psalms. What do you mean by that? Psalm 146, 47, 48, 49, 50 are the last five psalms. They all begin with praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And the Hebrew word is hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. So they call those last five psalms the hallelujah psalms. And those hallelujah psalms, the grand finale is the Psalm 150, praise God. And notice what it says, okay? So let's just read it to find out what it says. This is bringing all this together. Something to say praise the Lord about. Praise ye the Lord, or hallelujah. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with string instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Okay, this is the grand finale. And what it's calling for is this. Everyone every created thing, every created being to say hallelujah, praise the Lord. He's the one who breathed the breath of life into every living creature, every living soul upon the planet, and everyone that he's breathed the breath of life into, he's calling upon to do what? To praise him, the creator. So he's saying, look, from the depth of your soul, with all the instruments of music, with all the breath that you have, praise Ye the Lord. You know what that means? When your eyes pop open in the morning and you take in a deep breath. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. You say, well, what if I don't open up my eyes in the morning? Well, then you're in heaven. You better shout it even louder. Praise God. Praise ye the Lord. Be a part of the creation that praises him. No wonder why he said, if you don't praise me, then the creative stones on the earth will praise me. They will shout the voice of praise unto the Most High because he created them as well. And you put all these psalms together, and really, they tie it all together, and they say all created things are to praise him, for he commanded, and they were created. But guess what? We human beings have a free will, don't we? We have a decision to make, don't we? We can or we cannot. It's up to us to determine what we're going to do. But I don't know about you, praise God. I don't want a rock praising God for me. I don't want a stone crying out for me. What about you? Praise him. Praise ye the Lord. All right. In Psalm 50, 
We're to praise him for his mighty acts. We're to praise him according to his excellent greatness. We're to praise him for wonderful things he has done. All the created things that he created. The redemption that we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. For our deliverance. For our healing. For our protection. For our safety. For our provision. For our health. We praise him for all things. All the mighty acts that he's done for us in this life. Praise God. We sometimes don't even know some things he's protected us from. You realize that? Absolutely. Have you ever been like I've been sometimes? You got somewhere while you're driving your car and didn't know how you got there? When I first moved here 39 years ago, I had the, uh, I guess, uh, privilege of driving through downtown Beaver Falls. And I'm just minding my own business. It's a new place. I'm finding out where everything is at, New Brighton, you know, Beaver Falls. I'm driving my car. And I thought, what a wonderful town this is. There's not one red light in town. Drove all the way through from beginning to end. I went there the second time and I found out that the red lights were on the side of the road, not above. I had no idea. You know, coming from Youngstown, all the lights were in the middle of the road above you. And I look, so I'm just driving like this, just bebopping right through the whole town. Thought not one red light at all until the next time. And I thought, oh my. <laughs> well, a couple of things I could thank him and praise him for. Number one, I didn't get into a wreck, number one. And two, there wasn't a cop around. <laughs> what about it? Some things he has divinely protected us from because we praise him and thank him. You may not even know, but when we get there, I'm sure he's going to show us a few things. How about it? Psalm 50, we got that yet, 14, 15, and then verse 23. Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. A vow is something that we owe, isn't it? Call upon me in the day of trouble. Mm, I love this, don't you? I will deliver thee and you will glorify me. If we live a life of thanksgiving and pay our vows, this is what he said he'll do for us. And look at this one. Whoso offers praise glorifies me. Mm. And to him who orders his conversation or lifestyle aright, in other words, lives a lifestyle of praise, will I show the salvation of God. He will show us his saving strength if we'll offer to him the sacrifice of praise. Look at Psalm 118, one we quote a lot. Verse 21, I will praise thee. Why? Because you heard me. Not because I see the end result yet. I will praise you because you heard me. How do I know you heard me? Because I asked according to your will. And 1 John 5 says, if I ask according to your will, then you hear me. And if I know you hear me, I know I have the petition I desire of you. So before I ever see it, I will praise you. I will praise you for my victory. I will praise you for my healing. I will praise you for my health. I will praise you for my finances. I will praise you for protection. I will praise you. I will praise you. I will praise you. And you heard me because you heard me. And you've become my salvation. Hallelujah. He said he'll show you your sa his saving strength. Amen. So we praise him in advance knowing that he hears us and then he's become our salvation. Glory be to God. And that's how he becomes our salvation. You remember how he sent out the praisers and the praisers brought down the walls of Jericho? Remember how he sent out the praisers in Jeho Jehoshaphat's time and the three armies coming against them were destroyed by the hand of God? Remember that? Remember Paul and Silas were in prison. They prayed and sang praises. You see, when you pray, you know you connect with God. Then you, you, you take your petition to God when you pray, when we pray. And then when you praise, you bring him into your situation. I like that, don't you? And then everyone's bands are loosed. He delivered them from sure death 
Praise God. As they prayed and praised him for the victory in advance, praise God. And so that's why he wants us to become accustomed to really praising him for the wonderful things that he has done and is doing in our lives. We worship him, we praise him, and praise God, he shows us his saving strength. Well, number three, or part C, another manifestation of true worship is waiting on God. Worshiping in truth, waiting on God. You ready for this one? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, and verse 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. A divine exchange will take place as people wait upon the Lord. They're going to mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not weary. They shall walk and not faint. But notice as we wait upon the Lord, as we intermingle with the Lord, as we spend some time with the Lord in ministering to him, Praise God, an exchange takes place. A divine exchange takes place. He enters in. And you know what? All of our weaknesses are consumed with his strength, his power. It's almost like a Samson episode where the power of God comes into a person's life. There's an exchange, a divine exchange of strength that takes place. Well, look at Psalm 46 and verse 10. Ministering to the Lord is true worship. Truly worshiping him from the heart and spirit and in truth. It's also praising him for all the wonderful things he has done and waiting on him. Here, look at this. Be still and know that I'm God. You know, sometimes, and I think we're going to practice this, just be still and know that he is God. I'll be exalted among the heathen, I'll be exalted in the earth. Being still. Maybe worship a little, maybe praise a little, but then get still, get quiet before the Lord. Just wait upon the Lord. It's another way to intermingle with him. Just bask in his presence and give him our undivided attention. And as we do that, reflecting upon how great he is, how wonderful he is, and we really just kind of focus our attention on his, the beauty of his holiness. There is an interaction that takes place as his spirit moves upon our hearts and upon our minds. Oswald, Oswald Chambers, have you heard of him? Uh, Scottish Baptist minister, uh, teacher of the word, evangelist. He said these words, the greatest competitor of devotion to Jesus, this might strike you as funny, is service for him. God wants us interested in him, not just his works. In other words, we can get so busy in the work of the Lord that we forget about the Lord of the work. And we're caught up in doing things, we're caught up in our service and think that takes the place of our sitting in his presence. Being still, knowing he's God, drawing from his presence, ministering to him. You see, that's ministering out there in the world. That's not our first ministry. Our first ministry is to him. And then we minister to the saints, and then we minister, then we minister to the world. Now, in closing, look at Luke's gospel, chapter 10. These, you know the story. 
But there's so many things we can extract from this story that are pertinent to what we're talking about. It came to pass as they went that they entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister had left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she helped me. Jesus said, answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part or portion which shall not be taken away from her. We all know the story. But there's many things we can extract from this right now that will really help us understand what we're talking about. First of all, we learned this life lesson. Sometimes we've got to slow down. We've got to slow down. We live in a rapid pace society. Do we not? Social media, telephones, with you, anywhere and everywhere you go. Always being called upon for this, that, and the other thing. And it's easy for us to just get so caught up in a rat race that when you try to spend some time with the Lord, you just pass out. You're so tired, so exhausted. Also, she was frantic. This is the type of personality that she had. Now, Jesus loved her and she loved the Lord, but she was frantic. Now, think about yourself, ladies that are out there. If he was coming to your house tonight, right now, while you're here, what'd you do? Stay for the rest of the service or run home and get a few things done? She was frantic. She was panicking. She was going crazy. We, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. She's just going berserk. So it teaches us slow down. Number two, it teaches us priority or prioritizing our lives. God first. We need to put him first every day of our lives, no matter what. He comes first. I know we have some other priorities that we've got to get, you know, done. We understand that. But you know what? It starts with him. To have the strength to do it, to have the ability to do it, to have the wherewithal to do it, it all comes from him. So he was telling her, look, prioritize your life, Martha. I understand there's some work to be done here, but don't be so worried. Don't be so anxious. Don't be frantic about what's not done. Look at the next one, balance. Balance. We need, to, we need both. We need to sit in his presence and we need to serve. But what comes first? The sitting comes first and the serving comes next. So doing for the Lord is a wonderful thing. But not doing what he first requires of us, which is to be in his presence, is not the greatest thing to do. Because now we're doing it in our own strength, our own ability. So it teaches us balance. We need to draw from him first and then serve him with our lives. Look at this. Number four, choices. Choices. He said, Martha, Martha, Mary chose the right portion. The poor part there means portion. She chose the right portion. So I understand that there's a lot to be done here. But remember, isn't he the one that multiplied the food among the people? Sure he was. So don't be so concerned about it, Martha. Mary chose the right, she made a right choice. She made a right decision. And so if we're ever thinking about what's the right choice to make, the choice to honor God is the right choice to make. Look at number five. 
she was frustrated. Just like any woman would be, she was frustrated. We can all get frustrated at times, but she was frustrated because here she is working like a dog, and here she is, Mary is, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, listening to him preach and teach. So she's frustrated with her, and she appeals to Jesus, thinking that Jesus is going to tell her, Mary that is, what to do to get up and go help her sister. But when she makes that appeal out of frustration, and we all can get frustrated, right? What does Jesus do? Teaches us the next lesson, how to receive correction. He corrected her. Lovingly, gently, he corrected her. Notice I put the double Martha in there. You know why? It's a term of endearment. When he said it to her that way, Martha, Martha, he's coming across in a very loving and caring way, letting her know, look, I'm not here to hurt your feelings. I care about you, and I know what you're going through right now, but Martha, Martha, I want you to know something. You're cumbered about a lot of things. You've got a lot of worry, anxiety, and frustration. You're panicking. You're frantic and all that. But you know what? Mary chose the right thing, the right portion. She took time to detach herself from all these other things because something of tremendous importance presented itself to her. And here she is doing the right thing, making the right choice. You could actually think about it. You're making the right choice by being here tonight. I'm sure there's a lot of things you could have done out there in the world today in your busy life. But you chose to come and sit in the presence of the living God to hear his word proclaimed and preached. Even though it might correct us, and sometimes it does. Look at the next one, focus. She lost sight of what's really important. Oh, in our society today, it is so easy to lose sight of what's really, really important. Someone just said to me today, I've got to be a better follower of Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but what about being a follower of Jesus? Follow him. Follow in his footsteps. Do the things that he's instructed us to do. So we can't lose focus. She lost focus. She thought it was more important to do what she was doing. And then the last one, disillusionment. You know, she actually said that, Jesus, don't you care? Carest thou not? She lost sight of God's affection, the affection of Jesus. Obviously, Jesus cared for her, was close to them as a family, cared about her very much. We can be disillusioned. She was disillusioned. But see, he corrected all that. He said, look, there's a lot to do. But first of all, first things first, get it right. Get it in proper order. Prioritize your life. And we think about so much that the world has to offer out there today. We know in, among our staff, we talk about even today, there's all kinds of things that's being done on Sundays anymore and Wednesday nights anymore and even other days throughout the week whether it's athletics and competitions and that sort of thing and, and schools having projects and that sort of thing you got to go to. The world offers all kinds of things that are out there in, to really take away from and detract from our just coming together and honoring the Lord like we're doing here tonight. And sometimes we just got to make a right choice, right? I'm choosing to put you first, Lord, in all aspects. Now, why am I presenting all this? Because I want us to do all three of these. I want us to worship him. I want us to praise him. And sometimes I want us just to come and just sit in his presence. I close by telling you this quick story. This one fellow that was involved in ministry got a call from someone. This was out in, in Europe. And he said uh, he was invited to attend a waiting on the Lord meeting. 
And when he inquired about it, he said, what do you mean we're going to wait on the Lord? He said, we're just going to come wait on the Lord. We've invited many ministers around the area to come, and we're going to spend three weeks, three weeks waiting on the Lord. Now imagine this. You've got worship leaders. You've got singers, praisers. You've got preachers. And they're all going to sit together, and they're going to be in this meeting, and there were hundreds of them, and we're just going to wait on the Lord. They had someone who was like, he would monitor the whole thing, okay? He'd watch over it. He'd oversee everything. Suddenly, way in the back there, someone would start singing a song. He'd walk over quietly and just said, remember, we're at a waiting meeting, not a singing meeting. Someone start preaching over here a little bit. Not, what, what, what? We're waiting. We're not preaching. We're waiting on the Lord. We're just going to be in his presence. We're going to soak in his presence. You know how antsy you would be? Anyone would be, right? Just waiting on the Lord. And finally, this one fellow just said, he decided to go and he did it. He said, you know what? It proved to be one of the most powerful things in his life. It got so much corrected in the way he was thinking. It set the tone for his ministry, he said, for the next so many years. Just by sitting there on purpose, listening to the Lord. Waiting on God. So imagine that. It's good to connect with God. And if we will. He'll show us the things we need to do to promote his will in our lives. So is that okay if we come and worship and come and praise and then spend some time just. So we're going to plan this out in so many weeks. Anybody ready for waiting on God? <laughs> Can you see a preacher just sitting there so antsy? Got to say something. Got to say something. Uh-uh. Shh, shh, shh. Don't say anything. Imagine that. Let's all stand together before <laughs>